0: Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. For the sake of the world, for the sake of the world, we've been journeying over the course of the past 10 weeks together this thing of sharing our faith in Jesus with others. And for the past 10 weeks, we've been encouraged, we've been challenged, our eyes have been opened through the scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit to see where we are growing and what it means to be a church who is filled with disciples who make other disciples. And this morning, what I wanted to do to close the series is really to empower you all to encourage all of us as we leave today, that we would feel encouraged by the Holy Spirit to feel compelled to share the love of Jesus with others. And I want to do that through way of recap. And so some of the stuff that we talk about will be um, a rerun, if you will. However, I want us to think about the, even the word rerun uh, differently, Let the things that are familiar be the things that God has deposited into your heart over the course of the past 10 weeks, whether it's a challenge or an encouragement or just an affirmation of God's presence with you in that area, let it strengthen you as you hear it again this morning. So through the course of the past 10 weeks, we've talked about this thing called the good news Of Jesus Christ. And first we started off defining what the good news is. And if you remember back all the way ten weeks ago, we defined the good news as a person that Jesus embodied the message that he came to deliver. The good news is a person. It's less of what and more of who. Who the good news is. Jesus embodies the good news, and we spoke from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, and Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians to the church at Corinth, he says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. The gospel is a person, Jesus Christ, and we challenged each other on making Jesus first importance in our life. That we would be a church who is filled with people who put Jesus at the center of their lives that our focus would not be distracted on the lesser lights of the world, but that we would place Jesus at first importance in our lives. And as we take our walk with Him seriously, we begin to overflow with His presence. And it's from that overflow that folks are drawn into relationship with Jesus. Secondly, In the scripture, we read that it's the simple gospel. How we need a return to the simple gospel in our world today, in our nation, in our city, in our lives. We need a return. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, said we never move on from being beginners. When it comes to the gospel, let's be novices. Let's approach it like we never heard it before in our lives. That from this verse, we'd see that Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to all of those people and then was raised to the right hand of the Father. Let's be those who keep it simple in order to meet the needs of a complex world. And thirdly, according to the scriptures, at a couple of different points through this series, I've mentioned the importance of being in the Word every day, going back to the source of living water, that we be filled continuously, consistently with the Word of God. We daily go back to that well of living water that is the Word of God in the Scriptures. And fourthly, our witness As Jesus appeared to many, there's nothing more powerful, we said, than the power of a transformed life. That our lives would point towards Jesus in the way that we love him and in the way that we love others. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we carry Jesus with us everywhere we go. And then we moved on to define what the gospel is. We wanted to move beyond definition to get to a working, uh, a practical demonstration of the gospel. It's true we never really move on from the gospel, but it's helpful to have a definition of what the gospel is. So we talked about what the gospel means, what it is. And we did that by way of a two-part little mini-series within the context of the larger message series. It was sort of like death and resurrection, saved from and saved to. Good Friday and Easter, if you will. And the first week we talked about death a whole lot. Something us Americans like to sweep under the rug and not talk about. We talked about death, and it was encouraging, wasn't it? It was, it was encouraging. We read we read it out of 2 Corinthians 5, 14, and 15. Or wait. We read out of John 11, 25, 26, I'm getting ahead of myself there, that resurrection, like the gospel, is found in a person where where Jesus says of himself, he is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet will he live. And everyone who lives, oh wait, man, I'm skipping way ahead, rewind, forgot that you heard any of that. Man, I'm already jumping to resurrection, gosh. saved from, let's not move on too fast, 2 Corinthians 5.21, now we're on the right track, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, and we, we, we took a look at Jewish sacrifice, animal sacrifice that week, as we spoke about death, and we talked about how Jesus took our place on the cross and died for our sins, and just what a wonder that truly is. That he became sin. He actually became a curse that we would be set free. That our sins might be forgiven. It took the sacrifice of Jesus to bring us into relationship with Jesus, with himself. And remember we talked about the idea of the scapegoat in Jewish uh, animal sacrifice back in the day. We said that it took Jesus' sacrifice and it also took the blood of Jesus poured out on the cross that we might come into relationship with God. It took his death. And then we moved on to being saved too. Well, if we're saved from sin and death, what are we saved to? We're saved to resurrection life. Jesus, again, let's read it again. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet will he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And that's the question Jesus asks to his disciples and to folks hearing him back in the day. It's the same question that he's asking us this morning. Do you believe this about Jesus, that he is the resurrection? We carry resurrection life for others. He wasn't just crucified on a cross. He wasn't just buried, but he rose from the grave, conquering death, swallowing up death in victory, we read in the scriptures. Not so that we would simply carry resurrection life for ourselves, but that we would carry resurrection life for the sake of others in the world. That you carry resurrection life inside of you for a purpose. And that purpose is contagious. That purpose is that resurrection life would so spill out of you, so bubble up in you, that others would notice, others would take note that something different is going on in your life and in my life. What is the gospel saved from, saved to? Then we talked about why. We asked the question, why? Why should we share the gospel with other people? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We talked about all of the reasons why Christians don't share their faith, and why, the reasons why Christians do share their faith. And then we said that they're all rubbish. Do you remember? And we said that because we understand, as followers of Jesus, that reasons never motivate. So then we asked the question, well, what does motivate us? If reasons don't motivate us, right, right? You can't guilt somebody into sharing the gospel. If you do that, are those people really sharing the gospel? You can't manipulate people into sharing the gospel. Jesus never spoke with the language of manipulation or fear. He always spoke the language of love. And so love is the motivator. Paul says that Christ's love compels us. Love is the great reason. It's the love of Jesus that compels us to share uh, new life in him with others. Then we said we should share the gospel. Why? Because Jesus is altogether lovely. And we camped for a moment on a beautiful Sunday morning where we heard that God takes great delight in each one of us. Do you remember that one? It was a beautiful Sunday morning. We heard from Zephaniah 3.17 that God takes great, he's mighty to save and he takes great delight in who you are. The Hebrew translation, the literal Hebrew translation of that phrase, God takes great delight in you, is like a cheerleader who's doing backflips. He's so excited to be with you you. That he just can't contain his delight. Isn't that beautiful that God is so excited over you? He takes so much delight in you that he's like spilling over the brim doing backflips gymnastics over how much delight he has in who you are. And we said That God has set eternity in the hearts of men and women. That he takes great delight in Jesus, the Father does. From his baptism, as the Spirit hovered over Jesus' baptism, the same way the Spirit did at the dawn of creation. The Spirit hovers over uh, Jesus' baptism in the form of a dove, like a dove, And the Father speaks this over Jesus before he even does one thing, one miracle. The Father says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And he spoke it over Jesus. And if he spoke it over Jesus, he speaks it over us. And if he speaks it over us, He he speaks it over every man and woman on the planet. They They carry inherently something of the image of God, the Imago Dei. Remember, we even said, even that jerk who cut you off on 480 carries the image of God. Even that sibling that you don't really get along with or that you're estranged from, they carry the image of God. Even the person who hurt you so dearly when you were a child. That person too carries the image of God. It was a tough one for us to hear. But what it says about the character of God, the depths of his love and his grace for every single human person, is worth a year's worth, a life's worth of study and worship. That every single person that's ever gone before us, the billions, the the myriad of people who have gone before us, and every single person who will come after us carries the image, the fingerprint, the signature of God inscribed in their lives. And so they, as image bearers, God is working in their story, even though it it might not seem like it, He is. And he uses Christians, he uses Christ's followers, those who set him at first importance. He uses us to partner with him, to make folks who don't know him yet aware that they carry the image of God, that they are dearly loved. What is the gospel? Why share the gospel? And then we moved into more practical ground. How do we do it? Well, how do we do this then? It's pretty impossible. The Great Commission, super impossible. And then Karen Miller uh, spoke on the power of the Holy Spirit. It is impossible to share the gospel without the Holy Spirit. Karen reminded us that it was the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. And that power, Paul writes in Romans, is the same power that lives inside of you. In Romans 8.11, Paul writes to the church at Rome, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, if the Spirit's living in you, the same one, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit, who lives in you. What Paul is saying here is that that same spirit who hovered over the formless void at the dawn of creation, who spoke all things into existence, who then hovered over Jesus body in the tomb animating his body, bringing him back to life up from the grave, is the same spirit that lives in you if you claim Jesus as lord. He's saying that when you breathe, He breathes. That He has thoughts and feelings that are different from yours and mine. That He has thoughts and dreams and feelings and emotions that He wants to share with you. Not just for you, but for the sake of the world. How do we share the gospel? We share only through the power of the Holy Spirit. In the kingdom, it's only by the power of the Spirit that anything gets done. If something gets done in the kingdom of God without the power of the Spirit, I'd question whether that is a work of God or not. The only way things get done is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Karen asked us that question, well, what is the Holy Spirit inviting us into? And then Julie Barnhart spoke the next week, answering that question that Jesus is the light of the world. And we saw through Matthew, after his sermon on the mount, Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And for those of you who are here, do you remember we had this really childlike moment together where we sang this little light of mine? You know, that old Sunday school song that's so familiar to many of you. And then... All the lights turned down in the house, and Julie lit one candle. And she said that light expels darkness, drives the darkness away. We'll see another example of this on Christmas Eve, when we gather together on Christmas Eve, and we sing Silent Night, Holy Night together. And it starts with one little candle, one little light. And the light of Jesus spreads throughout the room. It's a beautiful moment. Every year... I start to to tear up and think about the light of Jesus spreading, not through the sanctuary, but through the entire world, over the years, the decades, the centuries. That the light of Jesus continues to not be extinguished because the darkness will not overcome it. Julie reminded us of the light of the world, that we're a people of the light. If you claim Jesus, you are a person of the light. And then the question there that was implied was, well, what do people of the light do? What do we do? And then Julie read it, and I'm going to read it for us again this morning. It's a little bit of a longer passage. It's Ephesians 4, through 32. And Paul's writing to uh, the church at Ephesus. And here's what people of the light do. Here's who we are. You were taught... "...with regard to your former self, your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of our minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, because of all this, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully." To his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. That's a great picture, right there. I just want to pause there. The finger not lying to the toe, the ear not lying to the knee. Isn't it great when all the parts of your body agree and tell the truth to one another? that one's free. Verse 26, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, and he may have something to share uh, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any Finally, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. It's that old Christian hymn. Not old, relatively speaking. Old enough. They'll know we are Christians by our love. You know, you're to act differently if you call Jesus Lord. This hymn was written in the 1960s by a dude named Pete. And Pete was a Catholic priest on the south side of Chicago. And he wrote the song in the middle of the throes of the civil rights movement as a statement to say that the church is different than society. And on the south side of Chicago, he, along with many other denominations and congregations, Saying this loudly to make a statement that those who follow Christ love across ethnic borders and boundaries. Those who follow Christ live differently. There's no longer slave, nor free, Jew, nor Gentile. We're all one now in Christ. And as such, we're to live differently. We're to live such different lives that the world says, what is going on over there with those people? When a community chooses, when a church community chooses to live differently, to really put Christ as first importance, to forgive others, let's just take one of those that Paul wrote. If we just focused on forgiving one another and live that out, the city of Cleveland would be like, what the heck is going on in Parma? Those are people who actually forgive one another for like stuff that no one else would forgive. They've, they choose. They choose to pardon. There are people who pardon. It's so attractive because it's, so, it's, such, an, um, it's such a scarcity in our world that when it happens... It's Matthew 5. The light shines. It becomes a city on a hill. People are like, what's going on there? What is that? We're to live differently. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the light of the world. When? Then we asked the question, when? And we said the simple answer is urgently and always. Urgently and always. And remember, we, uh, we looked at in depth uh, the book of Colossians, verses, uh, uh, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, where Paul writes, Walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And we talked about Google and how Google has all of the answers, and so knowledge doesn't quite equate to power anymore, but what is in short supply is wisdom, and wisdom happens to be, true wisdom happens to be found in a person. We can learn things from one another, but true wisdom is found only in Jesus. And we, re- we, we focus on the reality that people have questions in this world. And Google is trying to answer all of the questions but can't answer the real questions that people have deep with inside their hearts. Google does not have the power to do that. Will never have the power to do that. But there are people in your lives right now, they're everywhere, that are asking really hard questions about who God is, about who they are, about what they mean, about what this life means. And everyone is asking those questions. Sure, it might not look like it sometimes. People try to, to numb those questions, to bury those questions with work, with career, with school, with relationships. But those questions have a way of rising back up to the surface. And we said the best way to do that to, is to listen to that it's time for the church to stop getting good at the theatrical art of monologue and start practicing dialogue. To begin to get skilled at the art of dialogue and listening, even if we don't have the answers to everyone's questions. And then we felt a huge sense of freedom in the room when we all said together, we don't need to be right all the time. You don't need to be right. In order to show the love of Christ to others, you don't have to know it all to lead people in relationship with Jesus. In fact, sometimes it's the know it alls that turn people off to Christ rather than attract them to Him. You don't have to know it all, and you don't always have to have it right. I'm speaking from experience. (laughs) People are asking these questions, and we went went through Scripture, and we took a look at the questions that characters in Scripture asked, and again, it was a call to be in the Word daily, because when we're in the Word, we familiarize ourselves with tough questions. Even from the beginning, the the serpent, the evil one, asked a question to Adam and Eve. The serpent said, did God really say He asked, did God really say, Cain, Cain, when the Lord asked him, where's your brother, Abel, after he'd killed him in cold blood, the first murder, Cain answered the Lord kind of uh, arrogantly, am I my brother's keeper? That's a question that's relevant today that your friends are asking. Mordecai asked of Esther, are you here for such a time as this? Lots of folks asking that question of their lives. Job, man, gosh. Job asks some doozies. Job asks, who can make the clean out of the unclean? How many people are asking that question right now? I feel so dirty. Who can make me clean? Who can wash away what's been done? After all that my hands have wrought, who can make me clean again? And then Job asks this. If a man dies, will he live again? Everyone's asking that right now. What's after? There's got to be more than life to this. Is this all that it is? I'm born, I live, I pay taxes, then I die, and it's over. We just disappear poof into thin air. If a man or woman dies, will he live again? Will she live again? David asked How can a young person keep their ways pure? Many young people are asking that. In this world that we live in, how can I keep my ways pure, authentic, living authentically before God? How do I do that? And then Pilate asks, I think, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, the two most important questions in the whole of Scripture. He asks, What is truth? What is truth? In this nihilistic society, what what does it matter? What What is truth? And then Pilate, this is the most important one, I think. He asks, what shall I do with Jesus? That each man, each woman will come to a point where they ask the same question that Pilate asked. What are you going to do with Jesus? He either is who he said he claimed to be, or he's a complete and utter fool. You may choose to think that he was just some figment of imagination, just thought up that we could somehow think up the idea of God or something. But every man and woman must answer this question, what shall I do with Jesus? It was an encouragement to read the scriptures, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Are we a people who let the word of Christ live inside of us? And not just live inside of us, but live richly, dwell richly inside of us. That was the challenge, to be a people who let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. Thinking about Him. Dreaming about Him. Asking Him, what would you have me do today? Asking Jesus, who do you say that I am? How do you feel about me? What's your, what, is, what does your Word say about that? Letting the Word of Christ dwell richly in us. And then last week, we flipped the whole thing on its head. We turned the whole thing over. And in this series, it wasn't a trick message. I promise, it really wasn't. In this series about evangelism, we said it's not about evangelism. That The church has gotten it wrong. That it's about discipleship. And we talked about the differences between those two things. And what discipleship, being a di- A disciple of Jesus. What it really means. We read one of the most misinterpreted passages and some of the last words that Jesus ever said on his time here on earth to his disciples in Matthew 28, 18-20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, therefore, Go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And we encourage one another to just take one. Just take one other person along in the journey. That's all it takes. It may be inconveniencing to you, it may be something that costs you in time. It may be something that costs you in money, and resources. But if you commit to just taking one person along, you don't know the seed that's been planted there. You don't know the future of that person. And all we're called to do is be faithful and obedient to Jesus. And just take one along in the journey. So there it is. That's where we've been the past 10 weeks. Looking at the gospel, and we'll get ready to move into a season where we talk about Emmanuel, God with us. And that's really what this whole thing has been about. This whole thing is about the presence of God to earth, to you, to me. We just put dressing around it. Every other message that I or anyone else on this stage gives should only be about that. Sure, we might dress it up, but it's about the presence of Jesus And living authentically before Him. It's the person of Jesus. It's the beauty of Jesus. It's because of what's at stake that men and women's lives, their eternal destiny is at stake. It's because of the deep love of God, it's because of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the urgent and always factor that Jesus is coming. If the disciples thought Jesus was coming back a second time soon, that's where our minds and hearts should be too. That Jesus will return. He will make good on that promise. And it's not about so much conversion of other people or how many souls that we get saved. Those things are important. But it's more about discipleship, about just taking one along in the journey. It's about seeing Jesus clearly without any obstructions to create space for folks to just get a clean shot at Jesus For for the sake of the world, you know? Like, is there anything else that people need in this life? If they could just get a clean shot with all of the religious garbage that gets in the way sometimes. If they could just get a a clean look at who he is, at what he did. It's for the sake of the world that Jesus, we'll we'll talk about it in the next four weeks, it's for the sake of the world that Jesus appears in the middle of nowhere, obscure Bethlehem, and is born uh, into obscurity, and placed as a baby in a feeding trough. It's for the sake of the world that Jesus was born to an unwed mother conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's for the sake of the world that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and outpaced all of his peers. It's for the sake of the world that Jesus lived a completely sinless life. He's made in every way like us, but he was without sin. Oh! crazy. It's for the sake of the world that Jesus ushers in the kingdom of God with signs and miracles, feeding uh, 5,000, 7,000. It's for the sake of the world that Jesus heals the deaf, the blind, and the lame. It's for the sake of the world that he willingly laid down his life. He wasn't a victim, but willingly gave his life and stood before Pilate, was falsely accused, It's for the sake of the world that he was hung on a real Roman cross in the middle of time and space, that he was a real person who went to the cross for you and I. It's for the sake of the world that that crown of thorns was shoved onto his head and that spear was plunged through his side as blood and water flowed. It's for the sake of the world that Jesus poured out his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. It's for the sake of the world that Jesus was buried in a tomb that wasn't his own, that had to be gifted to him because he was poor in spirit. It's for the sake of the world that Jesus went into hell and preached freedom to the captives and then let him out in his train. It's for the sake of the world that he just didn't stay there but God raised him back up to life again. It's for the sake of the world that Jesus didn't stop there. He appeared to Thomas and said, put your fingers in the holes and see, see where I was dead, but now I live again. It's for the sake of the world that Jesus ascended right before their eyes to the right hand of the Father. It's for the sake of the world that he sat down, signifying his completed work on earth, at the right hand of the Father. And it's for the sake of the world that Jesus will come back. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth. And Jesus will return. And he'll gather those. And we will be changed, the scripture says, in the twinkling of an eye. And be made like him as the trumpet Blast from the heavens, the seal is opened, the scroll is opened, and everything will be laid bare before the person of Jesus. It's for the sake of the world that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, the Messiah, the Savior, our deliverance. Why don't you join me in standing?